If you want to participate, contact me at ordinarywomenpodcast at gmail.com. I'm sure you have great projects to brag about. You can also follow me and message me on Instagram at ordinarywomenpodcast, on Twitter at ordinarywomenpc, or on Facebook on the page Ordinary Women. This episode mentions eating disorders. If this is a subject you're sensitive to, consider skipping some parts of this podcast or this entire episode. If you suffer from eating disorders, please reach out for help. You can talk to your GP. There are also some resources in the show notes. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Ordinary Women. Hi, Laura. Thank you so much for being here today. Hi, Lucy. Thank you very much for having me. I'm very happy to have this conversation with you. <laughs> Can you start by presenting yourself? Absolutely. Um, so my name is Laura Williamson. I'm 25 years old. I am an ordinary woman living in London and I currently work for the Association for the Cannabinoid Industry. Interesting. And can you tell us something unusual about you? So my joints in my fingers are hyperflexible. So like I can bend it like the wrong <gasps> way. Okay. So yeah. No one can see. No one can see. Terrible, terrible skill for a podcast. But um, it's a bit creepy. <laughs> isn't it? it is. Yeah. Like basically, I don't even know how to explain. You can just bend your. Yeah. Like imagine bending it the right way, but it also goes the, the opposite way. way. That's amazing. Mm. I'd love to see that. It was like handy for like ballet, cheerleading, you know, all those things I did. Yeah. Since we talk here about being a woman, was there a time when you realized you are a woman? I guess in a sense, I was lucky that I have always felt like my gender matched the body that I was born with. Mm -hmm. So in that way, there was never a moment that I was like, oh, I'm a woman and this is what that is. Or, you know, like that wasn't really a breakthrough moment for me. I've always just been what I thought I or I suppose what I was told I was. I think that there was definitely a, a moment where it dawned on me what it meant to be a woman. And it came back to me when I was listening to one of the previous podcasts. And I was like, oh shit, yeah, that's what happened to me. And it was, I remember I was maybe like 11 years old, walking down the street, going to the shop for my mum to pick something up from the supermarket. And someone like cat called out the window. And it was like the first time that that had ever happened to me. And I was like, oh shit, like I'm becoming old enough now to be seen as like a sexual object. In my head, obviously it was not that articulate at the, at the time. Like now I can see that that's what it meant. Which one? Absolutely horrific. I was 11 years old. Like I was literally a child. Girl Horrifying. Thing. But I, it very much like stands out as like, memory of like oh like this is what it's like to be a woman yeah I think we were had called a lot more well I was at least between my 13th and my 18th rather than now that I'm 25 and that I'm more a woman than a little girl which yeah. is absolutely horrifying Yeah, no, I would agree. and But also I think that there is a little bit of location in that, or at least for me, like when I go home to where I grew up, so I grew up in Derbyshire, and when I go home, and I went home a couple of weeks ago for like a week, and I got catcalled at home, and I haven't been catcalled in London for, you know, in so long, and yeah, and then I was home for a week, and within that space, I got catcalled multiple times, so I definitely think there's like a demographic or geographical difference in that behaviour for sure, or like it seemed very obvious to me. 
me. Interesting. Yeah. And like, I looked awful at the point one of the cat girls, I laughed because I was like, are you blind? Literally. So I'd been for a run. I'd done about like 10 kilometers. I was like sweating. I was in like shorts. I'd slipped over in a cow pat in a field. I had like cow poo on my leg. And I was like, this is the point that you're choosing to cat call me? I was like, how desperate do you have to be to be shouting out your pan window? A girl covered in cow poo. <laughs> I just was like, I was, I thought it was funny. Like, it's not funny. It's disgusting. No, not, People shouldn't do it. But it was also really quite hilarious. I was like, yeah. oh, honey, get a life. conclusion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's madness. That being said, I remember reading a few personal experiences of women talking about the fact that they get cuckold less if they're very dressed up. The better they're dressed and have makeup and stuff like that, the less they are cuckold. Oh, really? Interesting. I would definitely say that the opposite is true in my life. Or at least, like, not maybe not necessarily like catcalling, but certainly, like, in the way that people look at you oh, on yeah. the tube. Oh, oh my god. god. Like, they I look can. at you like you're like a piece of meat that they just want to pick up and bite. And I'm just like, sat there, like. Studies show as well that disabled women are the ones who are being catcalled and sexually harassed the most. I guess ultimately, like, they're doing it to the people who are most vulnerable because they're the people who they will get away with doing it to. Yeah. And because yeah. it's always about domination. So yeah, yeah as you say, it's very easy. Ugh, reason number 1,005,064 why we hate men. <laughs> <laughs> and that's not about to change. <laughs> Did you grow up with any feminine role model? Yeah, I, I had quite a lot of feminine role models in my life, actually. I think, like, the obvious one, like, my mum, my grandparents, my grandmas, but also, like, I have three older sisters. So in terms of female influence on my life, my sisters definitely were that, um, whether I wanted them to be or not. <laughs> I had no choice. Um, but yeah, no, so definitely, like, close family. I was very lucky to be surrounded by women and surrounded by women who were not all on the same path, not all interested in the same things. Like, each one of us had has different passions and different talents and I guess I was quite lucky that I was surrounded by that you know you see some families and like everyone in the family is a doctor or everyone in the family is a paleontologist or something you know like everyone in my family has done something different and I really like the fact that we have and like how it's you know difference is very much celebrated yeah that's so interesting that gives a bit of more representation only inside your family yeah absolutely and like you know it was very much instilled into us like you work hard and like but also like it's kind of funny actually because my grandparents being from like older generations my grandmas were pretty much stay-at-home mums like they were homemakers that was their role they did other roles within that so you know like my dad's mum was a farmer's wife so she would help with harvest and they ran a farm shop and all that kind of stuff so like you know within being a mum she was so many other things and then my mum having had children very young was a stay-at-home mum until we were grown up and you know she's gone on to do lots of other things now but yeah so like even though sort of our generations above us were mums and homemakers as their roles we were all very much pushed to be career women and I think that's actually like I kind of wonder why like I would love to question like why they very much emphasize that school was so important and hobbies were so important yeah maybe I have to go and ask yeah (laughs) 
but yeah in terms of like other female role models there was plenty of teachers I had who were influential on my life my education but I actually think there was when I was thinking about the answer to this question there was a character in a book that I used to read when I was younger and it's a really random set of books they're called Nellie the Monster Sitter no one I have ever spoken to since has ever read them too so I don't know where my parents found them from I don't know about that no (laughs) but it was basically this girl who was a babysitter to to, to monsters but you know like she didn't care like how dangerous they looked how scary they were who they were what they where they came from all of that stuff and I think in a way as a female role model that sort of ability to treat everyone equally be kind to everybody to really not care what somebody looked like in the way that you respond to them I think actually that was an incredibly important lesson that I learned from a character in a book and she was also a girl and she was like running a business as like a seven-year-old whatever like I was like yeah this girl's killing it (laughs) I'm gonna have to find these books and read them again because I think they were great (laughs) I would love to read them (laughs) in fact I think one like I even got one like signed by the author once like I was like really into them yeah (laughs) (laughs) and what do you think these women taught you I think they taught me the value of working hard and I suppose like a stubbornness not to quit. Um, Like once you begin something, you see it through for better or for worse. There was a running joke that if you didn't do your homework, you... This is actually quite bad. If you didn't do your homework, you'd become a carrot picker on a rusty bike. A what? A carrot picker on a rusty bike. And I mean, like, there's a slight classism in that statement. Um, But the message was that if you work hard, then you will be rewarded with a good job and nice things, you know, and and I see where they were coming from with it. And it stuck with me clearly because I still remember it. Um, But I think, yeah, within that message was just work hard, you know, like your education is incredibly important and that's ultimately what will get you through life and yeah I very much agree with that so yeah I think that was probably the most important thing they taught me I also learned how to cook and how to bake from the female role models in my life I'm surrounded by people who are incredible with food I am very grateful for that (laughs) having lived with you I thank them for that Yeah, no, like I think definitely some of my best recipes are things that have either been like passed down or from like things that have tried and tested by my sisters and stuff. So yeah, definitely my ability to cook, I think comes from them for sure. (laughs) Also being sociable, that sort of confidence to go into a room of strangers and know how to hold yourself and I guess like respond to the people in the room. I mean, I don't know whether it was necessarily because they were women, but because we had such a big family and there was always social events and, you know, seeing how my mum and my grandmas and, and sisters navigated that and you know hosted a room of people and I think that's definitely skills that I learned from them for sure so important and actually when you say that it was not necessarily because there were women I think it's actually shown that usually it's a lot of women that do bear that social skills Mm. again I would have to look at data here but I'm quite sure we can find data on who thinks about birthdays in the husband's family it's very often the wife who would think it is your sister's birthday tomorrow think about that etc uh we haven't seen your mom in a while let's organize a weekend with her things like that yeah definitely which is so unfair you know what actually is also it was recently my mum's birthday and um i was part of her like birthday party we'd gone through all of like our old family photo albums to find pictures of her throughout her life honestly there was some cracking photographs it was so funny but (laughs) 
there was this recurring theme because obviously like when we were growing up 20 years ago people didn't have camera phones like you had a camera a family camera often it was on film so you sort of saved the film for special moments right and so often that was birthdays or Mm. Christmas so lots of the pictures focus around each sort of every child's birthday there's like a selection of pictures we me and my sister Joni were laughing because there's like okay here are the children here's one of like the candles being blown out on the cake here's dad playing in the garden (laughs) and here's mum in the kitchen (laughs) really and it was like it was like this like recurring theme of like every party and there was like all of these things happening and there was a picture of mum in the kitchen and like that's just where she was every party and you know like in a sense like she enjoys hosting she enjoys cooking she planned these things and in that sense she was doing what she enjoyed so I don't think it's like oh gosh she shouldn't have been in the kitchen because that's where she enjoyed being but also like it was funny (laughs) especially if she was alone in the kitchen generally a child with her child on the hip <laughs> yeah. But then Not she surprised. she had five children. You know, she yeah. chose to be a homemaker, she chose to be a mum. Um so she, in that sense like it's not like I think a big part of feminism is the joy of being able to choose. Yeah. And so, and I think that like, we have chosen really to be career people. You know, we're 25, we're working, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago at our age, we would probably have been married with children, right? We've chosen a different path. But I think part of feminism is not looking down on the people that chose to go with that path. So, you know, we can notice these things and it's funny to me that she was already in the kitchen, but it's not a bad thing. Like she chose that role, she chose to be there. Yeah, I think that's always something sort of as a career woman I like remind myself of like when you see these girls that you go to school with and they're now like there with like five children or whatever and I was just like oh my god like poor you and I'm like actually not poor you like you're doing what you want to do and that's a wonderful thing that we have the joy of choice yeah that was a long ramble (laughs) no I absolutely agree and I think it's it is important to remember and to say again and again that what is important is the choice yeah, especially when other places in the world, even other places yeah. in the UK, financial situations and whatever mean that people don't have that choice. Yeah. So, you know, in that sense, we're incredibly lucky that we do. Oh, we are, yeah. I'm actually reading a book at the moment that's called The Girl with the Louding Voice. And my mum mm. bought it for me because she was like, you've always been the girl with the loud voice. Thanks, mum. It was a compliment. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm like, thanks, mum. <laughs> um, good. I'm heard when I go into a room. <laughs> um, but it's about this young girl, she's like 14. She's in a rural village in Nigeria. Nigeria and she gets married to an old man as his like third wife and then how she like, gets out of that situation not necessarily impos- it's a fantastic story yeah highly recommend anyone to read it <laughs> thank you I yeah. absolutely will it's like bright yellow as well so it looks really fun on the bookshelf <laughs> love it I just bought sex and world peace it's about the fact that equal countries in terms of gender are also more peaceful have better economies like are globally better of yeah. course they are. Global health was something I studied as part of my master's and like so many projects and the, the fundamental part of so many projects, whether it's you're working on like nutrition and malnutrition and feeding babies, you know, an important part of all of those projects is female education. It always comes back to female education, female empowerment. Because if 50% of your population is uneducated and without power, then how can you expect your population to prosper? You can't. It's a foolish way to expect it. Yeah. So you can throw money at something, but unless the people receiving that money know what to do with it it's never gonna work and do you currently have a female role model or more than one 
I have so many. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I think there are so many wonderful women in my life. My family are still very much there and a present positive force. I think I have some incredible female friends. Yeah, like different friends from different parts of my life are all definitely have like a positive influence and I look to and I listen. You know, I, I think I can learn a lot from everybody. There are people that I sort of aspire to on a more fickle level, you know, in terms of like, um, I don't know, maybe it's not... <laughs> I know, I see like celebrity culture, are there people that I aspire to <laughs> There is no one that I aspire to be because I'm quite happy being myself. I guess there are people that I enjoy the content they create or that they're like vivacity for life, things like that. And there are people that I work with, you know, who've done amazing things with their career and I could only dream of having a career as successful as them. So yeah, like lots of different people are sort of a positive influence and in who I look up to for a variety of different reasons. Amazing. That's so important. <laughs> so great that you still have a lot. And do you think that the lack of representation impacted you? Oh, like definitely. And in probably in more ways than I could even identify, you know, on a sort of a policy level, you know, of course, there like a lack of women in parliament means that there is a lack of representation for women in policy and in the implementation of that in terms of education, you know, sex education, whereas the education around female pleasure, things like that, you know, only these kinds of things ultimately are going to come from females being in those top positions of power. And, you know, when you look at politics and you think, okay, what women are there or have been there? You think Margaret Thatcher, Theresa May and Pretty Patel. I'm like, well, it's a pretty dire state up there, isn't it? <laughs> Jesus Christ. So I think in that sense, there are probably lots of things that my life has been affected by in a way that I could never have controlled or the close environment we could never have controlled simply because women weren't in the positions that they should have been in or still aren't. <laughs> yeah, so I think in that sense, it definitely did. But I think in my day-to-day -day life, I very much have, you know, there is more women than men, 100%. Like in my family, in my friends, it's very female heavy, which I'm incredibly grateful for. I'm incredibly wonderfully female heavy you know the the women that I'm surrounded by are great women not just women so in that sense I don't think there was a lack of representation because I was surrounded by feminine energy and all of that good stuff cool that's so important as well all right this is a time when we stop talking about other people <laughs> and we talk about you and your own project my favorite thing to talk about wow. <laughs> love it love the energy that's what we want so about which project do you want to talk today? I want to talk about Happy Belly Nutrition. Yes. Yeah. Okay. What is this? <laughs> so it is my nutrition therapy business. So basically I studied nutrition for global health for my master's. I graduated that in like a full year ago. Wow. So I'm an accredited nutritionist or accredited associate nutritionist. I am very, very passionate about improving or helping people to improve their relationship with food. I think diet culture is so entrenched into our lives that we don't even realize the way that it affects us. And I think once you start, once I started to dissect that, I realized how much time I spent and how much energy was spent on analyzing the food I was eating, my body, the reasons why I was exercising, all of that kind of stuff. And I don't think I realized how affected I was by it until I started to sort of dissect it in myself and then dissect it on sort of a, a wider sort of societal level. And yeah, so then I sort of really became passionate about helping people navigate that and basically put the finger up to diet culture because it's not a positive thing in any possible way. And, you know, people and the media and society will tell you that, you know, obesity is 
is a epidemic and it's you know causing these million pounds worth of NHS money and, and deaths and yes there are medical implications being a certain size but it's not a one size fits all model and that's unfortunately the way that healthcare views it and health at every size is something I'm really passionate about and yeah just sort of helping to break down those ridiculous rules and ridiculous ways of perceiving ourselves as a result of diet culture and so yeah so basically when it was locked down <laughs> and I was doing my masters I started to just like share some pictures of like food and stuff like I love to cook I love to eat <laughs> um, so yeah just sort of started doing that and sharing some messages about basic nutrition you know nutrient values and and what vitamins are essential and things like that and making it a bit more easily understandable because you know I am a scientist my undergrad degree is in biology so I think I forget sometimes that nutrition as a science can be complicated to people who don't have that science background or science brain you know it, it is a certain way of thinking about things so yeah just trying to make it like a easily digestible thing for people to understand and, and use in their day-to-day lives so yeah so I started doing it on Instagram and then graduated became accredited and then yeah so it's basically developed my own 10-week program and I, <laughs> I kind of hate the way that it sounds because it sounds like one of those like oh sign up for a 10-week <laughs> program and lose 10 pounds and I I'm and then it makes me want to vomit. It's definitely like not like that. <laughs> um, but it essentially is like 10 weeks of education to help people understand basic nutrition and how to navigate that world and try to start helping to improve relationships with food. So that's like my current like passion project. There are lots of like things that I want to do with it that I don't necessarily have the time to do with it that I want to do. But ultimately, that's my like biggest passion and biggest thing at the moment, for sure. You sound passionate. That's so incredible. <laughs> I love it. As you were saying, it is so important. Actually, there is one anti-diet culture influencer that I follow. And I think I'll tell you about that. But once she posted some statistics about diet culture, how it is just basically a billion dollar industry. Mm. And I think she was saying, if I remember correctly, she was saying that in the UK, a woman in her life will spend on average about $25,000 in diet in trying to lose some weight and will lose about 10 times, I think, her weight in her life because of the yo-yo and stuff like that. It is madness. And you say like the yo-yo thing. I think it's like... 95% 95% of people will put on the same if not more weight than they lost during their diet because no diet is sustainable and that's why like you know there are even these diets that sell themselves as a lifestyle and so ridiculous because ultimately lifestyle comes from within it comes from that education going back to female education go it's all about education it's all about that deeper understanding and not just like being like what is the here and now and thinking about nutritional health as a long term you know what you eat now affects your life forever right because like what you're putting into your body and how you're treating it you can't put water into a car and expect it to run you have to fuel it properly and you have you know you can't just put fuel into a car you have to also put some windscreen wiper Mm. like cleaning fluid in and you have to pump up the tires sometimes it's like all of those extra things it's like our bodies don't just run on the bare necessity and that's why you know people are unhappy and people are you know shrinking themselves and they don't find happiness when they're smaller because happiness doesn't come from a different body happiness comes from inside and happiness comes from freedom of diet culture so yeah it makes me very angry (laughs) yeah um but it also you know like i remember 
diet culture affected me from being a very small child, like always feeling bigger than my sisters and my friends at school, not really enjoying exercise because I felt like I noticed that my legs wobbled more than other people in my class and things like that. And like now it's just absolute bullshit, you know, like my legs wobble because they're incredibly strong and like I couldn't be training for a triathlon if my legs weren't able to wobble. And I know that now. (laughs) (laughs) And where was I going with this point? Can't really remember. But actually, we've talked a lot about feminism, like we always do when we're together. Um, But diet culture and and the need to make women smaller is very much a feminism issue and very much stems from, you know, if you make women focus on being smaller, not having enough energy to do what they want to do, always needing to compare themselves and put their time, their energy, their brain power, you know, into their appearance and not into learning maths, then in a way you can control them. And it's always been about shrinking women and making them lesser and taking up less space. It's a very much a feminist issue. That, oh, who was it? There was an incredible podcast I was listening to by like a food anthropologist. I'm going to find it for you because it was, was so good. And she was dissecting the feminist issues around diet culture and about it through history. And it was fascinating. So interesting. Yeah, I was about to say the same. A so-called beautiful woman, if we go by the standards, is a powerless woman. And it's the same about the way actually we see and stuff like that, you know, like men spread, you know? Mm. Or as women, for instance, we cross our legs, stuff like that, because we're trying to yeah. take a place space. Yeah, like when you're on the tube and a man has his legs like all the way out. Yeah. And you have to like squeeze in beside him, keep your legs Short. together. Yeah. But yeah, it very much is about men taking up more space and women having to make themselves smaller. But also, like you said about the beauty standards, they're also not just sexist, but they're incredibly racist. You know, like the need to be small and not have curves, have that sort of 90s straight style body is definitely racist in terms of, you know, naturally body types are different between different countries and European facial features are seen as what's Mm. beautiful. So yeah, it's all a load of bullshit. Yeah, and it's very classist (laughs) as well. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look at the beauty standards across centuries, you can see that it's always the beauty standards are rich people. Like, for instance, in the Middle Age in Europe, people who are very white would be considered as beautiful because people who were working in the fields would get more tanned. Whereas yeah, when I you're at, the, at the castle, and same as back then, you'd be considered beautiful if you were bigger because that meant that you could afford food basically, you weren't yeah. rich enough to have a lot of food. Whereas now, now you're more beautiful if you're maybe a bit tan again putting yeah. that in this spectrum of racism which obviously isn't the case because we do live in racist countries but then also on that like it's really interesting lots of asian countries like skin lightening creams are yeah. hugely popular because it's seen as beautiful to be paler it's all just mad it really is madness and like how is beauty a trend you know like before like i don't know when we were what like 15 if you had freckles you covered them with foundation it was not cool to have freckles and now you can buy freckle pens <laughs> like yeah. are you just have, like how absurd it is that we just always have to change ourselves like how much energy money time are we putting into these things that you can never win like you just never don't mean anything either yeah. like they just don't mean True. anything and it's been so freeing to really begin not to care and to find taking it back to nutrition and to, to health like focusing on my personal health my personal nutrition my relationship with food and exercise for me and not for any 
any reason other than for what makes me feel good not because I want to be smaller or be musclier or be anything else that society is telling me I need to be I remembered my point please go on now now I can make a good yeah <laughs> so because I was I was thinking back to like when diet culture started to affect me and I was saying it affected me from being really small as a child right. But then it really like kicked in when I got to being like 16. And that's when like I started to go to the gym and started to really be like in inverted commas here, like be careful with what I was eating. Because I don't think there's a way to be careful. There's no unsafe way to eat unless eating like moldy food. Yeah. Yeah. But (laughs) (laughs) no, no, don't don't eat past like, you know, if it smells foul milk, don't eat it. But other than that, you're probably good to go. But yeah, that's when it really like kicked in. And I think now that's what, like 10 years ago for 10 years not 10 years because I feel like I've been free from the influence of diet culture for a few years now or as much as you know it's a continuous process but yeah like such a significant chunk of my life was spent obsessing over what I looked like and like I could have put that energy into so many other things I think I could have learned a language in that time yeah (laughs) I probably wouldn't have but I could have (laughs) watch more Netflix series yeah far more likely and why did you start the project just because of my passion yeah. for the topic and because in my head what this project will become is what I wish I had had you know like I want to do more nutritional therapy sessions like one-to-one but also like work out a way to make it almost a like corporate training take it to like businesses and have it as part of their like wellness programs because I know that like, as part of like corporate responsibility lots of them do that now so I would love to do that I want to write a book the big thing for me would be to publish a book about it <laughs> oh, a lot of projects to come. I'll have to reinvite you in a few years. Nice. But about this one, what makes you very proud of yourself? I am confident that the work that I'm doing is actually having a tangible benefit to people. You know, from like the feedback that I get and from like seeing the way that they change and the way that they talk about food and nutrition changes over time, I can see that it does work and it does make a difference and a positive difference. And I think like so many people, especially in London, are so like motivated by the hustle, motivated by money, motivated by, you know, like, and and that's not a bad thing. Like you do you, hun. Like if that's what gets you going, then go for it but that's never been what's motivated me and ultimately what motivates me to work hard is knowing that what I'm doing is making a difference and so yeah so I think like I'm very proud of what this is and what this could become because I know that it can make a difference definitely so many women are affected I mean and men you know nutrition and diet culture does not just apply to women historically and I suppose the majority does focus at women and you know like we've said about making a smaller but men especially and I think it's increasingly men are affected by it and especially in terms of that you know men have to be tall and muscular and they have to go to the gym and they have to be able to bench press however many kilograms and all of this ridiculous stuff and you know it does affect them and it is having an impact on their mental health you know and I think that's probably part of why suicide rates are so high in men is because there are these incredible pressures to be manly masculine and a big part of that is bodies and you know health wise heart disease affects men and women yeah and a huge factor in developing heart disease is diet so you know it's like Mm. you can't say that diet isn't important to men so it definitely is it definitely applies to, to everybody regardless of sex or gender I think hopefully I can help everybody. I'd love to help everyone in the world. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure you will do whatever you want to do. And how long was there between the time you first thought of it and the time you actually launched it? Probably like a few hours. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. 
love that. Yeah, I mean, one thing you should know about me, Lucy, I don't faff around. I sometimes don't think things through properly either, which is, uh, really? you know, um, no, it's, it's fine. Um, <laughs> in terms of nutrition as like a, what I wanted to study and a sort of life passion, I had been interested in food and nutrition from being young. Whether that came from a positive place or not, it was an interest. And then I think it was probably second year of uni doing biology, so like science and just like, you know, sort of refining what I was actually interested in. And I think I, that was at the point where I decided that I wanted to do nutrition. And I like, I found like a little letter that I'd written to myself from like the end of second year. I mean, there were some hilarious stories in there of like things I forgot I had done. I was like, oh my God, you were outrageous. But one of the things in there was like, I think I've decided that after this degree, like I want to go on to study nutrition. And then I had, and I found this letter like a couple of months ago. And I was like, I was so proud of myself. I was there like, oh, like... I did it, you know, like, yeah. I, like I set my mind to something and I did it and I was so proud of that. So yeah, so I think like that was probably the point where I decided that it was a passion enough to continue in my career with. And then I took some time after uni, then did my master's. And then it was whilst I was doing my master's and we went into lockdown that I got bored enough to set up an Instagram in the name of Happy Belly Blog. And that's when everything kind of <laughs> came from there, really. <laughs> Uh, so yeah. since in a way a few years and in a way a day yeah. <laughs> <laughs> since there was not much time between the time you started to think about it and the time you actually started it did you think about what you might see as challenging or what you might think would be easy or I think at that point no because it really was just a boredom project at that point like when I started it it was something to fill the time of being in lockdown and I was filling it with cooking and so yeah at that point it was just for fun like it was just a way of almost like consolidating what I was learning in my master's degree having some fun taking some pictures eating some good food um, and that's all it was so I don't think I really thought about that now when I think about like what I want to do with that particular project but also what I want to do with other things in my life so sort of the next big goal really is to do my PhD and I want to do that in sustainable food systems and that obviously ties into nutrition but isn't directly this particular project happy belly nutrition so yes I think like now from sort of the looking at it as like a wider sort of life plan <laughs> obviously there are challenges in terms of like how do you keep everything going at the same time how do you financially navigate that all of those kinds of things how do you run a business like I don't really know how to run a business <laughs> and that's why you know currently my business I put in inverted commas is not really but it is very small and that's because that's what I can handle at the moment whilst I have a full-time job you know so yeah in that sense like I see that there are challenges but also like life is an adventure you just got to go with the flow see what happens like there's no point in planning it out because it won't happen that way anyway so what's the point I didn't see my life being like it is and where I am now a year ago like at all yeah. so we'll just see what happens see what challenges pop up along the way <laughs> <laughs> and have you had any challenges to face yet I mean, I, I've kept it pretty low key because I don't have a huge amount of spare time to invest mm. in it to sort of grow it and therefore find the challenges. I suppose in a way, like maybe that in itself is a challenge, the time to n dedicate yeah. to it in maybe the way that I would want to, but mm. I just don't really stress about it. Yeah. yeah what will happen will happen, you mm. know? Like if it blows up, it blows up. If it doesn't, it doesn't. Like I enjoy doing it either way. And I think that's like a super important thing for me is like I would never want to push it, you know, push the happy belly nutritional push doing a PhD or push the job that I do now like I wouldn't want to do any of those things to the point of not enjoying them like I enjoy everything yeah and I think that's again like another motivation for me and my work is enjoyment from it so yeah I wouldn't want to let that get lost in the progression 
wise words oh. <laughs> and was there on the contrary something that was easier than you thought it would be you know what actually like coming up with the concept and the plan like the 10 week plan like it very much came easily and I suppose having the the education that I've had meant making the resources and knowing what to put into it was already in my brain but yeah like things like the actual content and like thinking about writing a book I know what I want to put in the book there are a few pages written already (laughs) but like yeah like I think in like content wise like I know what I want to say and I have the evidence to back it up that's maybe easier than it sounds like it would be (laughs) was there any important figure that helped you like someone that played an important role in this project so far myself yeah (laughs) yeah like it's very much like a I wanted to do it and I did it yeah. I don't really think anyone had that much of an influence on me picking to do it really, other than yeah, just 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 me. <laughs> That's again like the egotistical answer, isn't it? Like of course they were influenced no, like... way, but <laughs> Yeah, I mean like my passion for nutrition, I suppose, stemmed from one of my friends who was quite poorly with an eating disorder. Um and I think that really solidified in my brain the need to help people navigate diet culture to prevent it. You know, I and mean, there were other things happening of course, but I think diet culture does lead to a lot of eating disorders. And if I can prevent that and like ultimately like she was the person who opened my eyes to that so I guess in that sense like she was quite an influence on this being like a important passion project in my life yeah that's very interesting I can't say that's nice to hear because it's not no. it's really really <laughs> I nice I mean what is nice to hear is like she has recovered and living a great life now so like that's it's all amazing. good but... <laughs> I'm so happy for her and congratulations yeah. because it is very difficult and yeah congratulations to her well, we're reaching the end of this podcast. I think asked all the questions I wanted to ask, but maybe you have something to add. Um, I don't think so. I think we've fully explored my life right now. Yeah, <laughs> really liked it. Really enjoyed talking about this. Yeah, I think it was very interesting, and I'm very happy that we talked about diet culture so much because yeah, it is important. But I think health. it's so interlinked with so many other things. You yeah. know, sexism racism classism you know it it all affects us and and it's naive of people to think that just touching on one of those things is going to be a cure we need like you're saying earlier like we need that representation at a high level to really have sort of a a domino effect coming down Mm -hmm. and and actually having tangible effects on people's day-to-day lives yeah and we need intersectionality between all these domains for sure yeah like instead of like having a siloed approach it needs to be like yeah across it all well, thank you so much for such a great discussion. It was very, very, very interesting. And as the guests of the podcast, you have the very last words. Well, first of all, thank you very much for having me. I've thoroughly enjoyed myself. My last words are, always remember that you and only you get to define who you are, what you do, and your own worth.